I just had the most amazing afternoon. I went to the forest. I laid down by this log. I found this slug. I watched it, you know, crawl over these mushrooms and I heard the birds call in the distance and it was just the most perfect afternoon. And on the way back, I, you know, picked up lots of trash along the trail and I'm just feeling so amazing. You know, that can be our stories rather than like, I went to the forest and harvested every single patch of nettle I could find. And now I'm, you know, stressfully making soup so it doesn't go to waste. You're listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 58. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You'll love my amazing guests herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, friends. A couple of months ago, I talked to you about my growing interest in wildcrafting. Very soon after the interview on wild medicine foraging went live, an email in my inbox caught my attention. Two herbalists and friends I've interviewed before, Rosalie Delafore and Emily Hun, joined their forces to write a wonderful new book, Wild Remedies, How to Forage, Healing, Foods, and Craft Your Own Medicine. Today, I'm sharing with you my interview with Rosalie Delafore. Rosalie is pretty well known in the herbal world. She loves to inspire people to connect with nature and herbs in their everyday life. She's the best-selling author of the book Alchemy of Herbs, Transform Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies that Heal. Rosalie is the Education Director for LearningHerbs.com. She's the author of several great online courses, including Taste of Herbs, Herbal Cold Care, and Apothecary. She's also a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. There are many different topics that we discuss in today's conversation, from ideals for wild plant foragers and harvesters that Rosalie and Emily believe in, to seasonal living and how harvesting can enrich your life, to importance of having a plan for your harvest and some of the best strategies for incorporating wild plants into your life. I know you will love Rosalie's wisdom and experience. But Emily and Rosalie, as well as their publisher, Hay House, are allowing me to take it one step further. Every listener of this episode can download one of their recipes. In this particular case, it's Citrus Peel Cleaner by heading over to ko-fi.com slash plantloveradio. You can also find the link in the podcast bonuses and giveaway section of my show notes, and I will mention it in a couple of seconds. In addition to that, every listener has an opportunity to participate in a giveaway of one copy of Wild Remedies book. To participate in the giveaway, please leave a comment on the giveaway post, letting us know one thing that resonated the most with you during this interview. 
Plant Love Radio Coffee supporters will find four additional recipes from Rosalie and Emily on chickweed pesto, dandelion maple syrup cake, elder elixir, as well as spring flower massage oil, plus one free chapter on self-heal available for them to download. To explore all of these wonderful uh, bonuses, please head over to ko-fi.com slash plantloveradio or check out the show notes, plantloveradio.com slash 58, where you can find all additional links and resources mentioned in today's conversation. Enjoy. Hello, Rosalie. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Anna. Thanks for having me. I am so excited and so thrilled. Our listeners met you a couple of years ago, and you taught us about your secrets of herbal cold and flu care. And I love this episode, and I strongly recommend it for everyone to check out. I will definitely include it in the show notes. But today we're talking about something slightly different. We're talking about Wild Remedies and a book that you guys are coming out. But before we do that, for our new listeners, I wanted to introduce you and to ask you to talk a little bit more of how you got started as an herbalist? Sure. Well, um, you know, I've, I've been interested in natural health as just kind of its own thing since I was pretty young. Like, I remember as a teenager, I would like go to the library and get vitamins for dummies and read like about what vitamins do and make flashcards. And so it was not like your average 16 year old. And I remember actually getting my license and being so excited because now I could drive to the health food store by myself. That was like a big thing. So right. I was always interested in that, but you know, my life took me in different directions. And um, after I graduated from college with a degree in anthropology and foreign languages, I was actually planning on going to France mm -hmm. where I was going to teach English and um, I had a job there, but in the interim, um, I met a boy and <laughs> he was really interested in outdoor living skills, which was totally new to me. Um, I didn't really know anything about that. And so I spent the summer with him we started going to classes and I started learning about plants and I just became so entirely smitten with plants that I ended up not going to France and staying behind to go to the school. And I ended, up, I ended up with that school for three years and the head instructor, Karen Sherwood, this is at Earthwalk North, Northwest in uh, Western Washington. And she was a, um, is a ethnobotanist. And so we were doing everything with plants and you know, we were making baskets out of willow in the springtime and we were harvesting wild foods and we were making medicines and um, making all sorts of things with plant fibers. So much, everything you could do with plants, we were doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I was deep in those studies and I was learning so much about the world around me before that I didn't really know any plants whatsoever. Um, and so it was, you know, every day was just this big, new, exciting thing. And as I got to know more and more plants, it was just, it brought so much to my life and, and um, it was when I was in those studies that I became really sick and kind of long story short, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It was a very rare disease and the doctors didn't know what to do for me. And they gave me a brochure and they said, good luck. Um, but, you know, you're most likely going to die by the time you're 40. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much all I got from them, which in some ways I think was a blessing because, I, you know, just immediately that door was shut for me. And so um, I did feel like pretty bad for myself um, for a while, but pretty quickly I turned around and started seeing herbalists, naturopaths, acupuncturists, kind of develop this whole team of health 
experts and, you know, they didn't ever tell me that, you know, like they didn't give me the like, oh, this is terminal and you're done for speech. They asked me, you know, who are you? How, what is your life like? And how can we create a life, you know, that's just um, more healthy, I guess. So, so after six months, I didn't have any symptoms of autoimmune disease. And, you know, in that time I did get a lot of acupuncture. I drank a lot of really horrible tasting Chinese herbal formulas, which I'm so grateful for, but they were really hard to get down. (laughs) And I, you know, re, I I thought my diet up until that point was really healthy, but it was mainly like wheat and soy um, and vegetables, but it just wasn't serving me. So, you know, did a rehaul and yeah, after six months, I didn't have any more symptoms. And, and then I was just like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life, you know, because I knew that there were people out there who had probably got, you know, going through the same things as I did, you know, chronic disease, being told there's nothing they can do, but really there's kind of everything we can do Mm -hmm. uh, to address it. So that's what got me started. And yeah, at that point I was studying ethnobotany and it was a one, I'm so glad that that was my introduction to the world of herbalism because I was with the plants every day. I was Mm -hmm. going out to the forest, going out to the fields, interacting with plants. We didn't buy anything, you know, we didn't, um, in terms of the plants, I mean, everything we worked with came from the land around us. And so I'm really glad that I had that experience. But after, after I got sick and I got serious about it, um, about really got serious about herbalism, I went to clinical schools and um, did training, you know, in um, various different modalities, which did involve, you know, buying herbs. And I definitely of appreciate that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and being, you know, there's the different training that goes involved in being a practitioner and so yeah, for many years, I was a clinician and um, actually was a clinician up until I got my first book deal. Mm-hmm. And I just, I took a little break because I knew it would take a lot to write a book. Never written a book before. And so I, I thought, well, I'll just take a little break and, um, and then come back to it. And I've never come back to it. So I didn't really see that coming. In fact, it took years for me to even like let go of the idea of being a clinician. But that's a wonderful thing about herbalism. There's so many different ways that we get to be herbalists. So maybe one day I'll be back in practice again. And um, for now, I'm really enjoying teaching and um, kind of sharing that love of plants and sharing um, that first love that I had of getting to know the world around me. That's absolutely fabulous. And so what happened to the boy? Yeah, (laughs) Um, I'm forever grateful to him. Um, he's living in Hawaii and he's doing really well and we're still friends. <laughs> okay. That's wonderful because yeah. I know that your husband also loves wilderness and that you also do a lot of things that yeah. relate to wild remedies and just wildlife. So I thought that yeah. somehow. Yeah. We, we did actually meet in wilderness school. The, the, by the time we met, it was years later and I was actually working at that same school as an admin. Okay. He was a student. So we started carpooling and, um, but and, you know, he's, he's French as you know, my last name indicates. And, yes. uh, and so when I met him, I pretty much knew he was mine because right. he's French and I was going to go, you know, teach in France and I've been obsessed with France my whole life. And plus he knew how to do tracking and, and, um, all and those the, really important things that you need in a partner, you know, like tracking, absolutely, <laughs> <fire> friction fire <laughs> and all those things. And he actually, he, he loves wild foods and he is, um, really involved with, uh, native plant propagation and learning how to harvest plants in order to propagate them. And, and so that's a fun, uh, and we make a great team in that way because we'll often teach together for local mm-hmm. classes and, um, 
you know, he teaches the wild foods part and I teach the medicinal part. And so it's a, it's a fun way to, to teach together. What a wonderful story. So you've been quite prolific in terms of teaching and your educational efforts in herbal medicine through your programs, through your presentations, through monographs. So you mentioned that you released the first book and now in April you're releasing your second book, which is Wild Remedies, How to Forage Healing Foods and Make Your Own Herbal Medicine. I'm beyond excited. And I actually recently released an interview with John Slattery about foraging in the Southwest. And I am so curious and so fascinated by the topic. So I know that you wrote this book with your lovely co-author, Emily Hahn, and I interviewed Emily on this podcast as well. When did the two of you decide to combine your efforts and collaborate on this book? And why on this particular topic? Yeah, that's, that's a good story, actually. Because um, both Emily and I, so we've been friends for uh, almost a decade now. We've been working together for um, just as long. And, um, and both of us had written one book and both of us said we'd never write another book again um, because they're just so much work and not just like there's, you know, the writing, the editing, and then the launching of it. And it takes a lot. And so, yeah, we both um, had said we'd never write a book again. And then um, in 2017, when my first book Alchemy of Herbs was published, it was in September that I went to Ireland and mm -hmm. I had a friend who lived there and she was doing a, a retreat. And so I went there for a couple of weeks And it also lined up that while I was there, I got to meet my favorite musician in the whole world, who is Tori Amos. And I've been listening to Tori since I was 12. And she's like, I'm, pretty, I'm like your typical obsessive Tori Amos fan. They're kind of well known. Um, and so it made sense to me that I would go to Ireland and give her a copy of my book because um, I'd actually acknowledged her in the book because she'd played such a big role in my life. You know, like my first book was like my first album. So I was like thanking everybody that brought me to this point. So I uh, definitely want to thank Tori. And so I got to uh, meet up with her in Cork, uh, Ireland. And she was just so amazing meeting her. You know, of course, I was like jittery and everything. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, and she was just so calm and present and Um, and she, and I gave her the book and she thought that was so cool. We took a photo together and, and in the midst of that, she asked me, um, what is the best way to take herbal medicines? Mm -hmm. And I know she meant like, you know, like, do you take it as a tincture or capsules or tea or, you know, I think that's what she meant anyway. And, um, but in my mind, I just, I knew that, but I took it to like that next level. And I think I said something coherent to her. Um, it was kind of all a blur, but I said something to her about, you know, the more we can incorporate plants into our lives, mm -hmm. that's a real healing, whether it's, you know, food is medicine or nature connection, etc. And so I've already admitted that I'm like a pretty obsessive fan and just pretty obsessive in general. So of course, for days later, I just kept replaying that conversation and thinking about things. And it was just a couple days later, actually, I was back at home in my kitchen I just remember very clearly standing there in my kitchen and all of a sudden it just hit me. You have to write a book about that, you know, mm. that encompassing all of that, that I wanted to share with Tori in those couple minutes that we had together. And I, it was really just like, I mean, again, I was like, I will never write a book again, but this idea hit me like just smacked up the head, you know, it was so powerful and so clear. And a second later it was, I just got the thought and you'll write it with Emily Hahn. Mm. And I, just ran with it. I got Emily on the phone. I told her my idea 
And she and I had had many conversations, um, really about concerns, actually, of mm-hmm. wanting to share our love of nature and our love of being outside, our love of seeing the interconnectedness of all things, and our love of harvesting, mm-hmm. but also, you know, the fears around that. And, you know, Emily had had an experience where she taught a foraging class, and even though so she had given very clear instructions and, you know, talked about ethical harvesting. She found out later that there were two people in the class who were like uh, sous chefs or, you know, somehow involved in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And they went back and just like wiped out a plant population. Oh, um, wow. you know, they were just in the class to find places to forage um, mm-hmm. so they could bring it back. And that was like, you know, that was a horrible experience for her. And so she had a lot of, you know, worries about that. And so we talked about that a lot. You know, how do we bring forth that incredible um, joy and wonderment of being outside, of interacting with the world around you, but bringing it in a way that um, we can really share the sacredness and also the responsibility that we have to to that world so we can avoid situations where people think it's okay to wipe out plant populations. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the... That was the beginning, and that was actually two and a half years ago. Um, So it's been a while in the making, you know, the the outlining of the book and really deciding, you know, there's so many wonderful foraging books out there. And so we didn't want to write a book that was already written. Mm -hmm. Um, And we wanted to, you know, bring something new and different to the conversation. So, um, you know, we thought a lot about that. And so what came out of it is that half of the book is really focused on people building their I guess I'd say like awareness and skills about learning the world around them. And right. so there's lots of almost like workbook or journaling opportunities for people to really figure it out for themselves. Because one thing that was really interesting about the book, the writing process of the book is that I live basically in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I live in Eastern Washington. Um, I live on a little um, Creek Valley and I'm about 25 minutes from town and that town is of a thousand people. So um, I have neighbors around me, but I can't really see them. Right. And like, I, you know, we have game cameras and I see cougars and bears and coyotes and, and everything you can imagine, you know, just outside my door. And so I live in the wilderness, very rural. Emily lives in LA and, you know, she's very much, she lives in kind of a very special part of LA that does have a lot of nature. Um, she also sees coyotes outside of her door, for example. Um, but you know, it's a very different thing to live in LA, not only, you know, the difference between an urban center and the rural area that I live in, but even just, you know, she's in a Mediterranean climate down there and I'm in a temperate climate up here with four seasons. Right. And so we wanted the book to be applicable to everyone, you know, not to be, a, not to be a bioregional book because we want someone to be able to pick it up wherever they live and get a lot out of the book. Um, but we want to be able to teach people how to be bioregional herbalists or bioregional plant lovers. Um, so it's not just like saying, here's what you do. It's also about here's how to think about it and here's how to nurture this within yourself. That's fabulous. So what are some of the main principles or ideals of wild crafting that you want everyone to learn about? Mm-hmm. And we actually, Emily and I like sat down and thought about that for a long time because we did want to come up with kind of like a ideals or manifesto of the, you know, qualities or characteristics that were really important to us that really embodied um, the act of wildcrafting or foraging. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, we wrote those down and we call them the wild remedies ideals. And the first one is awareness. And we started with that one very intentionally because that is, you know, the biggest one is to go out and just be aware and to really see the world that's around you, uh, practicing presence and just being able to sit with that awareness and be in a place of both wonder and gratitude for, you know, all that is there. So it always begins with that awareness and, and just recognizing what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is interdependence and recognizing that, you know, even as herbalists and plant lovers, we can often be pretty um, obsessive about the plants themselves, but there's really an interdependence amongst all beings. And so learning not just about the plants, but all of the creatures that are supported by those plants or, um, you know, interact with plants and the whole ecosystem and that. Uh, in regard. So that's awareness, interdependence. Next one is reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And that one's a really big one for us, um, growing your reciprocal relationship with plants. And when I first started foraging, um, I remember my first foraging experience, actually, I was with friends and we were in Seattle and we were at a park and it was you know probably August. And we came across a whole bunch of blackberry bushes that were just, you know, bursting with ripe blackberries and we harvested them and it was so much fun and so rewarding. We took them home and we made the best cobbler I think I've ever had in my life. And I couldn't believe I was just like, wow, like this is free food. You know, I was, I thought it was so cool that it was free food. (laughs) I just remember like repeating that over and over again. Um, But over time I realized that, you know, the relationship needs to be deeper than that than just like, Mm -hmm. what can I take? You know, what's free Mm -hmm. Um, because nothing of course is free. And so developing that reciprocal relationship is really important and learning um, how we can give back, which is kind of ties into the next idea, which is caretaking. And that's caretaking both for ourselves, which is really important. It's kind of a, you know, do that for us first um, so that we can then do our best to take care of the earth around us. Uh, The next one is seasonal living. And this really comes naturally when you're out outdoors all the time and interacting with plants, because as you know, you get to watch the seasons change and then participate with that and live in harmony with that as well. And uh, another one is empowerment. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of for anybody working with plants and herbs, even if you're buying them, I think there's such a great sense of empowerment that comes from knowing that you can um, either forage or make medicines out of the plants that are incredibly healing on so many different levels. And then the last one is community. And this is a really important one because so often in our culture, we try to do it alone. There's Mm -hmm. kind of this myth of individualism and that we need to, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get it done by ourselves. But really when we're learning about plants, if we look at human history, that was not done in isolation, you know, it was done in community. And so um, we're cultivating community. We're listening and learning from others, which is really important with wildcrafting, finding out what's working for people, what isn't learning how we can tend to the plants, you know, better and better and, and then work together with all of that information. So um, I'll just repeat them again. It's awareness, interdependence, reciprocity, caretaking, seasonal living, empowerment, and community. 
Those are beautiful. So one of the ideals that I want to talk a little bit more about is seasonal living. I know that part of your book is really going very deep into this idea and that you're looking at the plants according to the seasons when they are growing and when you would be able to harvest them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, one question that I've gotten I think as long as I've been an herbal teacher is that people want a calendar of when to harvest things. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to like, can you just give me a calendar that says when I go, when I need to go harvest something. So then I just know um, that's, I mean, I've probably been asked that question a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people have that question. It's an important question, but there's kind of a fallacy to that question in that it's just impossible mm-hmm. um, to give that, you know, even, even if somebody lived next door to me, it would be, you know, it would be a lot easier, but it would still be more difficult, you know, because things change every year. And so the way we know when to harvest something is to go out and visit those plants all the time. Of course, we have a general sense, you know, like in the springtime, there's going to be lots more dandelion flowers or violet flowers, um, you know, that the yarrow is going to get into flowering in early uh, summer, or we know the berries are ripe in August and September, or that we harvest roots in the fall. But really, the only way to know when to exactly harvest those is by getting out and seeing them. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, that being able to live in tune with the seasons that way, to be able to go outside and watch things change and participate with them as they change is so important. And, you know, in writing the book and thinking about seasonal living, um, it made me just reflect on my life and how it's just a weird thing that I grew up in a culture that didn't really acknowledge the seasons or, um, you know, it's so easy for us to do because we have indoor climate control. Um, so, you know, we can bump up the heat or bump up the cool air so that we're always at the same temperature, no matter what the temperature is outside. We have a grocery store that's stocked with vegetables, fresh vegetables, even in winter, you know, even if it's like tomatoes that taste like cardboard, they're still there in the winter. Um, and so we kind of like, we do a really good job trying to ignore the seasons. Um, and one thing that really, I just, you know, I thought about this while writing the book and I, I grew up in Southwest Utah, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it's a very warm climate and basically there's no snow there, but I remember, you know, in elementary school, they'd have like the little calendar type, you know, pinned up to the wall. And, you know, in like December and January would be like the snow months. And I remember like the snowman on the, on the little bulletin board there. But it's like, we had no snow. You know, why, why was that? It was like, we were just kind of forcing that four seasons, which did not apply to us whatsoever. Um, but that was like what we learned as mm-hmm. children. It's like we learned the idea of seasons rather than like what it actually is outside. And so in my adult life, you know, living in a rural area, and living in a place where pretty much all of our food comes from the farmers here, um, coming into the seasons and living with the seasons, having, you know, seasonal celebrations, as well as just like the obvious things you do, like swimming in the summer and skiing in the winter, but really like, you know, diving into those and experiencing them has given me such a richer life as an adult than I, you know, as a kid. And just, again, pretending to like learn the seasons as if they're like, something to memorize (laughs) rather than something to experience. 
So true. I'll tell you a story on my own end as well. So I was born in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. And I remember someone returned back from their trip to the United States and they had this joke. The joke is absolutely not funny when you are telling it to an average American, but it was so hysterical to someone that lived in Ukraine. So when do you get strawberries in the States? At 6 a.m. when the supermarket opens. And so we found it to be so funny because the strawberries were only available for like 10 days in June. And so the whole thing, I was like, what are they talking about? So anyway, I completely, completely understand. So as we're talking about living in seasons, one of the parts of your book is introducing your reader to the concept of botany and ways of becoming more confident wildcrafter. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, actually, I want to just circle back to the seasons. Just one thing I wanted to mention sure. about that too, because it's so important, is that um, I think, you know, as I've, you know, become a forager over the past two decades, my year is very different than what I thought of, you know, as a year when I was younger. And really that comes with the plants, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, you know, there's springtime, sure, but there's also like dandelion harvest week or, you know, the mm-hmm. time when the wild roses are out and, there's such a preciousness to that, as you're saying, you know, like the strawberries, there's the 10 days in June where you like get sick on strawberries because that's all you do is eat strawberries. Um, but there's that same thing with, with wild plants, you know, they're here in that moment for just a blink of an eye. And it's up to us to, you know, choose whether or not to participate with them in that moment and um, whether that's foraging them or just simply appreciating them. And that brings mm-hmm. such a richer life experience, you know, like, those strawberries, those 10 days that you get them straight off the plant and they're so you know juicy and they have such a sweet flavor um, makes them so much more special than when you get them at 6am any day, you know, which in, they don't taste good <laughs> from the store. Absolutely. So I just wanted Absolutely. to mention that like, sense and- of just like how beautiful it is to have things for a moment in time and to be able to really appreciate them within that moment and not have them there all the time and just how we can really how that shapes our awareness of the year and how we can, you know, go through these cycles and an awareness of all there is in this changing world of ours. So, so true. The last time I saw you, you were here in Massachusetts, Rhode Island area for the International Herb Symposium. And I remember you were presenting and you mentioned something. You said, I am going to miss all the rose harvest and blossoms. And I remember how sad you were about the fact that you were traveling. And so you won't be able to do that. So Yeah, I remember that too, because I, I remember I actually was like really sad about it. And I think I was trying to make a joke about it in class, but like my sadness really came yeah. through because I remember afterwards, like a couple of the people in the class came up to me and were like, thank you so much for being here, even though you're missing the roses. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, of course, of course. <laughs> This is a quick pause. At the start of the interview, I mentioned that Rosalie and Emily, as well as their publisher Hay House, are kindly supporting this interview. Each listener can download Citrus Peel Cleaner recipe from the book. In addition, you can participate in a giveaway for Wild Remedies. To be entered into the raffle, please leave a comment on the giveaway post sharing your favorite part of this episode. To do this, please head over to co-fee.com slash plantloveradio 
or find the link in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 58. I will choose the winner when the next episode goes live. The software also allows you to support my work, but you do not have to be a supporter to participate in the giveaway. Plant Love Radio current Kofi supporters will find additional four recipes of chickpea pesto, dandelion maple syrup cake, elder elixir, and spring flower massage oil, as well as additional chapter on self-heal available to download. Before we return to the interview, I wanted to mention that the winner of the last giveaway from Herbal Revolution is Cheryl. Cheryl, please reach out with a quick hello to Lana at lanacamille.com so we can ship you your prize. And now back to our conversation. All right. So botany. Yes. And I guess, you know, botany and plant ID, like what does somebody really need to know to get started? And what I was taught 20 years ago is that you always start with the hazards. Mm-hmm. And so you know what is in your area that is potentially lethal. Mm-hmm. You want to know those plants better than any other plant out there. Um, and so that might mean getting a local guidebook, going to a you know some kind of local interpretive center, or if there's a park nearby or wherever they have that kind of naturalist information. Mm-hmm. Talk to people, find out what is lethal in my area Mm -hmm. and really, really get to know them. So things like um, poison hemlock, water hemlock. Um, Here we have death camas. Um, Even, you know, the beautiful foxglove, you know, can be uh, very poisonous. So you want to get out there and know, you know, what is abundant? What does it look like? And you want to know it in every single stage. Like Mm -hmm. here we have death camas, which is one of the most poisonous plants in North America, and it looks, when it's young, it's pretty nondescript. You know, mm-hmm. and before it flowers, it looks like a lot of other plants, um, if you aren't careful. But so we've spent a lot of time really getting to know death camas. And I can recognize death camas, even when it's tiny, you know, and it totally looks nondescript to most people. You, mm-hmm. know, you just you get to know it. So getting to know your hazards, spending time with them, getting to know them, not just you know, as words on paper or a photo, but really, you know, find them mm-hmm. and look at them, spend time with them, really get to know them um, with your eyes <laughs> in the most cases, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so you really want to get to know those. And so that's the big, you know, and then once you know those, I mean, you're just, that is the best way to go. Um, and so then when you're looking at, you know, looking for other plants that aren't poisonous, you'll know, you know, if one looks like the other or, you know, how to differentiate those from your local poisonous ones. Okay. So that is is step Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Um, The next step is how I did it is I learned plant families and plant families are such a great way to learn about plants. You can learn a handful of plant families and get to be able to recognize plants within a certain family. So For example, if you can identify a plant in the mustard family, which is pretty easy, um, then you'll know all of those plants are related. Mm -hmm. None of them are poisonous. Mm -hmm. And um, and it'll just, you know, you'll be able to just like recognize them right away. Or plants in the rose family, again, you know, being able to recognize them. Some of those, um, the poisonous plants that I mentioned, you know, there's quite a few poisonous plants in the APACA family. So if you can recognize the APACA family, you'll at least know like, okay, this is a family I need to like be careful with Mm -hmm. um, because it does contain those, um, those very special plants that we need to look out for. So getting to know plant families is really important. And it's also for me, like I'm, 
I'm really a big picture person. I'm not a small details person for mm-hmm. better or for worse. And, um, and so I like learning. I like starting with learning plant families. Cause to me, like learning these large grouping of families was just a lot easier and more engaging to me than, um, you know, with botany, you can get down to like really nitty gritty details. There's a whole new language to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, the taxonomist books for botany are just, you know, they can just be huge, huge textbooks that cost hundreds of dollars. And if you don't know how to read them, you don't know what those words are. I mean, it's like a foreign language and that can be pretty intimidating. Um, I'm intimidated by them. <laughs> you know, it's not really my favorite to do that kind of stuff. Um, but getting to know plant families is a great way um, to really break into that and, and be secure in your knowledge. And then, you know, I was really lucky to study with somebody directly for three years. So you harvest plants. What do you do with them after that? And so from <laughs> a perspective of an herbalist. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I would say one thing that I, it's not always possible, but I recommend having a plan for what you want mm-hmm. to do with mm-hmm. what you harvest. And, you know, sometimes I'll see, you know, on social media, someone will say, I just harvested five pounds of yarrow. Now mm-hmm. what do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, chances are that person is, does not need five pounds of yarrow in any way, shape or form. So they probably just harvested a bunch that, you know, will go back to the earth, but, you know, will not be really used in medicine. And then the other, so there's kind of that is just looking at waste, you know, do you, do you need to, how much do you really need so that we're not wasting those plant resources um, is one consideration. But the other consideration is like you said, you bring back to your kitchen. Now what? You'll need supplies and you want to be ready for that. So, you know, let's say you harvest um, a whole bunch of flower, violet flowers and bring them back home. And you really want to make, you know, you decide you want to make a violet vinegar, um, but you have no vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, violet flowers can be pretty, they're pretty delicate. And so even the take, you know, the time, it, well, for me, the time it takes to go to the town and say hi to everybody you meet on the street and then, you know, pick up the vinegar plus the other five things, make it home. Like those violets aren't going to be as great as they were picked fresh. So right. it's a good idea to have a plan so that, you can have things in stock, whether, you know, whatever that might be um, in terms of, you know, just having vinegar or alcohol or however you're going to make them. But yeah, so you bring them back home. You basically have two, two very broad options. You can um, somehow use them fresh. Like let's say you harvest nettles and you're going to just eat them up fresh or you're going to, you harvested elderflowers or dandelion flowers and you want to fry them up as fritters. So you eat them fresh. So you eat them and that's it. So that's the one option. Um, and you know, di- different seasons, like in the springtime, I'm eating a lot more wild, fresh, wild things. And as the year progresses, I do a lot more preserving. So that's your second option mm-hmm. is how do you want to preserve the harvest? And that can be as simple as drying, you know, just putting things where I live in a very arid environment, so I can just use drying racks or might mean having a, a food dehydrator and dehydrating plants in there if you live in a humid environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's generally your easiest. And then you can, after they're dried, you can process them in different ways or just simply make a tea out of them. And then I mentioned already, you know, alcohol is a wonderful preserver of medicinal attributes of plants. And what's nice about alcohol is you can extract plants when they're fresh. Mm -hmm. So for example, I really like a tincture of fresh nettle uh, leaves Mm -hmm. as opposed to a tincture of dried nettle. Like if I had dried nettle, I wouldn't even bother making an extract from it. I would just really want to make it with fresh. So 
alcohol can preserve those fresh qualities. Vinegar is really wonderful for extracting minerals. And so I love, especially in the springtime, no, actually all all of the year, (laughs) um, I love making different vinegar extractions. Um, There are those like wonderful greens in the springtime, like chickweed and dandelion and nettles that work great as a vinegar extraction. You're basically taking out all of those nutritive qualities and concentrating them in a vinegar. And then you can use that vinegar as salad dressing or by the spoonful or um, add a sweetener to it and use it as a drinking vinegar. So lots of, lots of options with vinegar. You always share a lot of really amazing recipes for how to incorporate them into common foods that you eat. And so can you talk just a little bit about like what you and Emily uh, seem to do so well in your books? Yeah, well, I like I'm like kind of practical to a fault. And so I really like being able to use plants in my everyday life. And so, and food is such a great way to do that. And I often tell people, you know, there's a big difference between making a soup with like bunches and bunches of fresh nettle leaves or, you know, taking like a squirt of nettle tincture. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in dosage there and just even quality and even like the story, you know, of like Mm -hmm. the story of going out to the woods and all the creatures you see and the sun on your face and the smell of the wind and and just all of the joy that that brings and harvesting the nettles and bringing them home and creating this really special meal out of them. That's a very different story than like I went to the store and I bought a tincture and I took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously we can make any experience, you know, as alive as we want it, but there's just always going to be that difference. And so I love that. I love being able to go out, harvest foods, bring them back. And I like being able to show people how easy it can be because um, this is kind of, maybe not as well known about me, but I actually don't love to spend time in the kitchen. My husband does most of the cooking. Okay. And I do recipe development. And um, it's not like I don't know how to cook. It's just, I wouldn't really like choose to spend my time doing that. And I think that's actually an asset because what I bring to my recipes that I create is ease. You know, I'm not like, I don't have 20 step recipes and the ingredients list can be long, but they're often long with like herbs and spices, right? but simple, you know, and, and other things so that they're easy to find ingredients that people can make things with right away. That's, so, that's fabulous. That's great to know. And uh, yeah, that's my little secret. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually not a cook. <laughs> Emily, on the other hand, oh my gosh, she's a professional recipe developer. Yes. Um, she wrote for the kitchen for years, her recipes. It was just so much fun collaborating with her on the recipes. You know, she'd send the recipe and send the photo and it was just oh so incredible. So, you know, we definitely have different styles when it comes to cooking. And so it made the book really fun to have both of our styles in there. I think people will find you know, that there's a variety of things to choose from. How awesome. Did you ladies make most of the things that you shared or all of the things that you shared? Oh, all of them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we had a whole process. Um, we decided what we were going to put in there together, um, you know, kind of brainstorming. And we wanted to, you know, there's like, there's your classic things, like here's how to make, you know, a very simple vinegar extraction or here's how to make a tincture. So we have the basic things in there, but we also wanted to take it like a one step further and have those food recipes and kind of show different possibilities. So kind of a collection of like classic foundational recipes and also like, wow, recipes. So we decided what we wanted together. And then um, 
we chose like sometimes she made the recipe, but I made them mm-hmm. because of just like what was in season here. We were constantly going back and forth, you know, like, can you make this? Is that in season? Like for right now, you know, I have um, lots of snow on the ground and, um, you know, meanwhile, like Emily was harvesting chickweed, at, you know, in January. Right. So <laughs> you know, that's a very different thing. The recipes are a lot of fun. And I mentioned this to you before we started the interview. I always admire so much the sheer beauty of what you create and what Emily creates. And there's just so much love that goes into it. Thank you. So we made the recipes. Sometimes we made, she made them and I made them, but we actually had 100 recipe testers and they tested all of the recipes. So um, they didn't like, it was like three people tested each recipe. And so Uh we got their feedback, you know, to make sure that everything was clear and that things that happened in our kitchen also happened in their kitchen. Um, So very grateful to those hundred people who dedicated their efforts and energies and um, time into that process. And we had Val Paul was really great. She organized the whole thing for us. So we kind of like give her the recipe and she just, you know, distributed it. And then we got all the feedback from it. So it was a process. <laughs> it was definitely, I did that for both books. Um, right. So. And sounds like such a great and useful exercise and system. Yeah. Cause you know, once the book is published, it's very hard to change. I don't right. want to hear back from people who are like, you know, you said to cook this for two hours, but when I did, it was a blackened mess or whatever. So we want the recipes to really hit home. Something that keeps coming back to me is the story that you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation where Emily taught a group of people and then someone from the restaurant industry or business went and just harvested all the population of a specific plant. So the reason why it keeps coming back to me is because I would love to hear your thoughts on how to be a lot more criminal as a wild crafter, as a forager. What is the best way to practice wild crafting? Yes. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention is that, you know, Emily and I, we'd had all of these conversations. Well, I guess I did kind of mention that, you know, we'd had all these conversations about, you know, should we teach wild crafting? Mm-hmm. And, and, at, you know, one point Emily even just said, no, like, I just can't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. It's just too hard to face those repercussions. Uh, so we we're kind of like, it's interesting because we were kind of like the reluctant people to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but in so doing, we wanted to really just encapsulate and share all that is to really frame wild crafting and foraging in this bigger light. Right. Um, so kind of like I was talking before, you know, one of my first foraging things is that we harvested those blackberries. You know, blackberries in Seattle are a dime a dozen. Like they're kind of an invasive plant and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Very easy to find. I'm sure we didn't, you know, make any kind of, you know, deep ecological dent when we harvested those. But, you know, my mentality at that time, and, you know, it was just my mentality is what I mm-hmm. kind of grew up with. It's just like, wow, free food. That mm-hmm. is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anytime what's really at issue here is our mentality and right. the place that we're uh, harvesting from. And so whether that's ourselves, other people, if we're harvesting for, you know, because we it's free or because we want, you know, to be trendy at our restaurant or, you know, whenever, if it's always me centered or how do I gain from this, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bad situation. And so in that way, we need to step back, you know, several steps back mm-hmm. and really embody those ideals that we had um, talked about earlier. Things like reciprocity, uh, things about awareness and looking at the interconnectedness of all things that's really where we need to start, you know, is fostering those types of 
ideals and uh, values within our lives. And, you know, it always starts with doing that for ourselves first. You know, how can I be better at reciprocal relationships? Mm -hmm. How can I show up with gratitude more often? How can I really do my best to have a stewardship for the land around me? As we develop those values in ourselves, they're going to leak out to other people. You know, people are going to see their brightly flushed faces and the joy in our eyes. And they're going to say, what have you been up to? (laughs) And to be able to share that, you know, oh, I just had the most amazing afternoon. I went to the forest. I laid down by this log. I found this slug. I watched it, you know, crawl over these mushrooms and I heard the birds call in the distance and it was just the most perfect afternoon. And on the way back, I, you know, picked up lots of trash along the trail and I'm just feeling so amazing. You know, that can be our stories rather than like, I went to the forest and harvested every single patch of nettle I could find. And now I'm, you know, stressfully making soup so it doesn't go to waste. So it really comes down to cultivating those, those ideals, sharing, you know, growing them within ourselves, sharing them with other people who are interested in hearing them um, so that we can then approach foraging and wildcrafting with those in mind. And so our first questions aren't just what can I take, but our first question is, you know, what do I see here? What do I notice here? And how can I give back? You know, those are the first steps to wildcrafting. Um, it's only like after we've spent time and had our awareness deepened that we can then think about, you know, what is abundant here that I can bring home with me. This is such a powerful message. Thank you so, so very much. So one of your last ideals was creating and cultivating community. And I want to talk a little bit about this because community is coming together, but it's also finding resources together that bring us to the same place. Can we talk a little bit about resources and communities that are available in this area, in this field? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, there's just so many different resources and communities out there that it's this like ever growing, um, I don't know, ripple that just keeps going further and further. So maybe I'll just kind of mention different ones. And um, so one that comes to mind is the United Plant Savers. They're a wonderful organization that uh, looks at the conservation and of native plants, native medicinal plants here in North America. And they do so many amazing things, you know, looking at at risk plants, helping to inform people, you know, what we need to be careful of, um, but also doing a lot of proactive things and looking about how can we cultivate sensitive species and um, propagate them with care. And um, every fall I get uh, golden seal rhizomes from them and, you know, cultivating my own patch of golden seal, Um, which is always a struggle because it doesn't love to live here the way it does love in the East, but I keep trying. Uh, So United Plant Savers is a great organization. Uh, So there's that, like that's kind of an organization. That's an example of Mm -hmm. uh, what's out there. Thank you. Um, I definitely, like, as I said before, the more we can share this with others, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, that there's definitely, you know, an art to finding the balance of people who want to hear what we have to hear. I always have to learn that. I can't tell you how many people I told about Tori Amos in my life before I realized not everyone wants to hear about Tori Amos <laughs> and the same goes with plants. Um, but you can see that spark in people. And, and one of the best ways to create that spark, I think, is through food. Right. You're showing up to potlucks or, you know, having a dinner party yourself and being able to share something that you harvested and lovingly made 
you know, people notice like, Ooh, what is this? I want to know more about this. Mm -hmm. Where I live, we have tons of potlucks. I mean, all the time. Um, We actually have in our little neighborhood, we have a monthly soup dinner. Um, And so we get together in our neighborhood every month and it's so much fun to bring wild harvested foods, local, you know, from local plants to those gatherings and just talk to people about them. And so that's, a wonderful way to build community mm-hmm. um, and to get people involved. You know, they they want to come too. And, you know, there's a difference between like, if you're so inclined to just one person going out and harvesting things and tending the land and three people going out and together to be able to really assess an area, find out what's appropriate amount to forage, but also to be tending that area, keeping track of the area might be spreading seeds if appropriate or, as I mentioned, picking up trash on your way out or, you know, whatever the case may be. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's also just way more fun to harvest with other people. <laughs> so what are some other organizations that you're thinking of, Lana? So I'm not necessarily just thinking about organizations, but I was also thinking about some of the conferences that teach mm. classes about this. So maybe some of the other herbalists that are talking a lot more about the concept of wildcrafting or some of the other yeah. books, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the going to conferences are such a wonderful idea. Almost every herbal conference, there's going to be plant walks. And so you can go out in the field and see plants and then um, and be exposed to just a wide variety of teachers and people who are attending, meeting people who are near you. So I love conferences so much. We've met up at conferences, as mentioned before. We have, we have, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, that's a definitely high priority. Um, there's also things you can do, like starting, I know that there's like herb chapters, you know, so mm-hmm. starting a little herb group and getting people together um, where you live. Um, so that's another fun thing. And yeah, I actually listened to your interview with John. John's a friend. And he has wonderful books. I actually have a listing on my website of my favorite foraging books. And there's new ones all the time that are just so great. Um, And one thing, you know, we've been really focusing on is foraging in this talk. But in Wild Remedies, we also include gardening tips because um, not everyone is going to go out and forage. You know, it's nice that everyone has the possibility to work with fresh plants, whether Mm -hmm. that's plants from your own garden or from a community garden or more and more small you know, farmers are starting to harvest things like chickweed and their weeds and you know people want them so they're showing up at farmers markets in Seattle uh, I can go to the Ballard farmers market and get fresh nettles in the springtime so there's a lot of opportunities like that same here same here so I, I find a lot of herbs fresh herbs now at the farmers market that I've never seen before so that's always exciting but surprising to me so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very true very true Rosalie, you have been so generous with your knowledge and with your time. And our conversation is coming to an end, but I have a couple of more questions for you. So one of them is, how can our listeners learn more about you and also learn about ways of getting your book? And then the last one will be, if you have any parting words, perhaps some words of wisdom or anything else that uh, you can share with us, either about wildcrafting, about herbal medicine, or anything in general. Sure. Uh, Well, for the book, Wild Remedies, um, you can purchase that wherever books are sold, your favorite bookstore. And we do have a set of lovely bonuses for people when they buy the book. So if you go to wildremediesbook.com, um, you can go there and register your book and get access to the, the bonuses there. Um, there's things like um, a docu-series and labels and, and fun things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are available. 
And for staying in touch with me, the best way to do that is through my newsletter. And you can sign up for that on uh, herbswithrosalie.com. And when you sign up for my newsletter, I have a little course on how to choose the best herb for you. It's all about herbal energetics. And then every month I send out an illustrated ebook um, to everybody on my list. So those are two ways to stay in touch and get the book. And I have to say that I absolutely love your newsletter. So, Oh, thanks. Final thoughts. Well, you know, we, Emily and I asked each other hard questions when writing the book and, you know, thinking about it. And one of the questions that we asked ourselves is what if everyone wildcrafted medicinal herbs? Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've heard, you know, kind of, we hear people say fearfully, you know, like, if everyone wildcrafted, then hillsides would be stripped of plants or you would lose sensitive species if everyone wildcrafted. And, you know, that's definitely a scary thing. And we even have examples of that happening. Golden seal, as I mentioned earlier, has been, you know, widely taken out of its habitat. And um, so it's a very big concern. But, you know, that is part of the reason why we wrote Wild Remedies is because we wanted it to go beyond a simple foraging guide and more to help you strengthen your connection to the earth. And we think that the more people who show up with that mentality in mind of caretaking of reciprocity and also living seasonally building community, like these are all such important values that we really need, like the earth needs us to have at this point. And so we think if everyone wildcrafted, it would be in a really amazing thing because we would have all these people that were regularly visiting green spaces and all of the benefits that come from that for themselves, you know, less stress, better mentality. Um, and if, you know, people were, if everyone was wildcrafting and aware of those, you know, wanting to harvest those wonderful plants, we think that we would see a lot less use of things like toxic herbicides. You know, would people, if everyone wildcrafted, who would be left who would want to, you know, eradicate dandelions? No one, you know, those are one of our best <laughs> things to, to harvest. You know, if everyone was empowered to make their own nourishing foods and herbal remedies, even simple ones, you know, how different would that feel, you know, to have population that was empowered and engaged in that way. And if people were forming those relationships with the land around them, caring deeply for that, I can just imagine, you know, we would be curbing, you know, urban sprawl, we would be protecting those places, we'd really be cultivating a place that was wild and free. So I think, you know, if everyone were wildcrafted, we'd be building more resilient communities, and we'd be, you know, cultivating this entirely different relationship with the earth that I think we really, really need right now. So those are my, my parting thoughts, and encouragement to do so as well. I my greatest joys, I mean, we live in heavy times, you know, it's hard. I know that it's hard. I feel that too. But I can say my my greatest joys in my life have come, you know, from these ideals, from forming those connections and from being engaged in the world around me. Such a beautiful message and so much wisdom. Rosalie, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Lana. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with Rosalie Delafore. All the podcast bonuses, as well as a giveaway, and all the resources that Rosalie mentioned during our discussion can be found in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 58. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting me. 
once or on a monthly basis. The best way to do this is through the website where I post the giveaways, co-fee.com slash plantloveradio. You can also find the link in the show notes or on my website. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love. Thank you.